Today is uh, Thursday, the 2nd of June. I have a great opportunity to introduce Diana Pappen running for the 21st Assembly District, formerly held by Kevin Mullins, who's currently running for Congress. Welcome to Podcast by the Bay, Diana. Thank you. Nice to be with you, Patrick. Good morning. Good morning. You know, but before I start, I want to start to show you an Assembly Rules Committee's proclamation resolution in 1986, written to my dad, who worked for the state of California for 38 years. How old were you then, Diane? I was 23. 23. Well, we're not here to talk about uh, Luke Pappen. We're here to talk about Diana Pappen. Diana, why don't you give a little introduction about yourself? You currently sit on the city council. In Yeah, in San Mateo. So I am in my uh, second term, seventh year on the San Mateo City Council. I'm the current deputy mayor. Um, I ran in 2015 for the first time, and it has been a great honor to serve. I feel that I'm good at this work, and I really enjoy it, and um, I think I've made a difference in our community. So is this your second term on the city council? Yes. I was reelected in 2020 with um, more votes than anybody seeking a council seat um, on the penins- in the San Mateo County. And so that kind of begged the question. Um, a lot of folks came to me and said, we'd like you to think about running for something else. You've got a good track record not only in the city of San Mateo, but in the county itself. I've served on several county boards and was even involved in the creation of two county boards. And um, so a lot of folks said, when um, the assembly seat opens, you should consider running. And I thought that was going to happen in 2024. Um, but as you know, Patrick, uh, Jackie Spear gave up her seat, and that prompted Kevin Mullen, the current um, occupant of this seat, to run for Congress. And here we are in 2022, and it's a vacant seat. And um, we announced this campaign within just a few hours of Kevin announcing that he was going to run for Congress. And the response to my candidacy has been overwhelming with the majority of the Board of Supervisors, a majority of the mayors, many, many council members on the peninsula supporting my candidacy. And I'm honored to have that support. Well, welcome. Why you over all the other candidates and what leadership skills do you bring that maybe some of your opponents don't bring? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I can't really speak to them, but I, I will say that um, I bring an authentic leadership that builds consensus to the, to the seat. Um, I have proven that both as a city council member and then on several county boards here in the county. And that's really what this job takes. It takes, you're one of the 80 assembly members, you have got to be able to listen to folks and bring them together so that you can move the needle on whatever the issue may be. I always say, what is more important than what somebody wants to accomplish as a candidate, but rather how they get things done. And I am quite proud that I have been a consensus builder, and that is how I've really gotten things done in my local service. Well, you have some pretty big shoes to fit. Kevin Mullins uh, has also been the chair pro tem back there in the assembly, has also been considered one of the consensus builders. What kind of skills do you think that you have that are similar to uh, as current assemblyman Kevin Mullins? And I will tell you, Kevin is very highly regarded. Uh, when I first started campaigning, 
um, and I was meeting with folks. You know, he really was the gold standard in a lot of ways. I actually called him to let him know. Just want you to know, out on the campaign trail, I'm really hearing that you were the gold standard, and we would like somebody to replace you who has a similar skill set. And I do think he set the bar very high. I think he has been tremendously successful in Sacramento because he does listen to folks, and he really tries to find out where we can move the needle, which I agree is, is, is what's most important and how you get things done. And, and I think he has been effective in Sacramento for uh, not only the state of California, but for this district in particular. So um, uh, I would look forward to following in those footsteps. Currently, we have a shortage of affordable housing in the state, also in the city and the county. Um, what's your approach? We, we, Senator uh, Weiner has um, made a lot of proposals, some of them which were defeated, and that was, I think, Proposition 50 and Proposition 60. And currently we have Senate Bill 9 and 10 that are currently took effect in January. How do you think we can get ourselves out of this uh, crisis on the housing situation? And why don't you give an, an example of your own city and how you're building housing? So we are in San Mateo... We're doing not only our own affordable housing construction, but we also have, and we've been very creative to reuse and repurpose some land, like older office space. We're looking at shopping malls. Um, we have to really repurpose land. That'll be mostly market rate, but with respect to the city and what it has done for affordable housing, we've used our former redevelopment sites, um, and we're, we just broke ground on Kiku Crossing. And what I love about that project is we kept the land, and it will have many different kinds of product in it, whether that's a studio, whether it's one bedroom, two bedroom, three bedroom. We, because um, we really wanted to make it, if you were a senior, if you were transitioning out of homelessness, if you were a first year teacher, if you were a family, we really looked at who was in need of affordable housing. And we um, tried to create a multitude of product within this particular project. We even have seven units that are going to be reserved for disabled adults. So I'm enormously proud of the diversity of product that this project brings um, to the affordable housing. Well, I'm excited to hear that you retain the land because obviously 50% of the cost of development of any type of housing is the land. So, and, and, and that kind of dovetails into a question that I posed to a couple, or at least a couple of candidates running for the uh, uh, Board of Supervisors. We currently have approximately 92 properties in the state of California that are in the city and unincorporated areas of surplus land. Of those 92, there's probably not even more than three or four of those properties that are being redeveloped. And most of these properties, to my knowledge, are in the unincorporated areas or quartered transportation areas. What would you do um, if you were elected back um, in the assembly to make sure that we unleash that property and put it into the affordable housing? Well, as you know, we've got a big surplus here in California, and I don't see that surplus as being available to sustain programmatic uh, pro programs that need funding. I, that, that's really just one-time money. So I would advocate to use some of that surplus and that one-time funding to help municip municipalities in areas where there's already land designated to build on and give, and provide some money so that affordable housing can actually be achieved. So I'd like to see financially some money go to the municipalities who have, like you said, the surplus land available uh, so that we can make it happen and we can get the, fund, we can get the building done. So that's one of the ways that I think uh, the state of California can make a difference with that surplus land. Most of our cities are all generated by arena numbers, and obviously we have to have our arena numbers uh, submitted to the state and approved by the state. Um, 
it's my knowledge that that agency seems to be understaffed um, to adequately take care of the the um, the work. So each state or each city has an obligation, or or they're subject to a ten thousand dollar a day fine until less. And how can we prevent that gridlock? And to my knowledge, I think of only a few cities' plans have actually been approved. So we have a little bit of gridlock. How can we how can we undo that gridlock? Um, I'm glad to see that the cities are following it. And with the arena numbers, it seems like the majority of the people that are complying with the arena numbers are only building one-bedroom apartments and studios. Um, and that's only situations where the land is not owned by the city or not donated uh, to some some uh, course. Yeah, well, you know, with reading numbers, what's what's required of cities is that they identify parcels that they think could be subject uh, to the building of housing. And I, I agree with you. Each city is doing its best to identify those parcels, and um, the state is behind on approving them, uh, the, the um, housing element plans that have to be turned in. And... Um, yeah, I mean, the HCD will have to ramp up to make sure that, that they're getting the approvals done on time, but the cities are doing their best at least to submit their housing elements in a timely way and identifying those properties that they think could be subject uh, to additional um, housing possibilities. You know, cities, they, the only time they're going to build is if they have the land. Um, but the other part of it is you're just identifying private parcels, right, that you think could be subject. Like in San Mateo, we might be looking at um, shopping malls that could be redeveloped and uh, for multi-use, which would include housing. Um, and I'm, I'm proud of the work that we've done. We just actually, our city just... Um, uh, did their sort of preliminary approval of how we, we think our housing element is going to look and what we're going to submit to the state. In 2008, we went through a real real estate crisis and, a, and kind of a depression. The state of California took the redevelopment money away from the different cities. And obviously, the redevelopment money was partially earmarked for housing. Um, and I think you advocated to try to get that redevelopment money back. How can we make sure that the redevelopment money comes back to the cities that is actually used for transportation, or, or not transportation and housing? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we, we learned a lot from, from the big behemoth uh, bureaucracies that came with the old redevelopment agencies, and that's why they were eliminated. So I think, you know, redevelopment agency 2.0 has real possibilities, as long as we don't get those big bureaucracies that come with it, and we streamline the distribution of funds. I think we're up to the Task. I think the state is up to the task, and I would like to see some form of the redevelopment agency come back, even if it's just um, uh, you know a certain segment of taxes goes just to funding housing, and there isn't a, a big bureaucracy that's developed. But I would like to see that. I, I, I also think with you know the state mandates, right? Mandates that you build or make available, or you identify parcels in your arena numbers that could be built upon. With those mandates, I also think the state needs to provide some assistance to municipalities so that they can have these 
construction of sufficient infrastructure to support those housing needs. And so that's one of the things I'm going to be looking at when I go to Sacramento is what can the state do to make sure there's the infrastructure to build the needed housing? I mean, you can't just keep asking municipalities to get it done without some assistance for the infrastructure. You know, it, it seems that the current legislation, if you look at it closely on SB9 and SB10, somehow kind of gloss over the just the valid point that you're bringing in. That's the infrastructure, which means it's the electricity, the water, the garbage, the sewer. How can we make sure that that actually takes place? Because it seems the state, to some interpretation, is saying you have to build housing no matter whether you have the availability of water or energy. It, and it's kind of a, uh, a misnomer there. Do you have any comment on that? How can, uh, I mean, I, I, as you know, we're an aging state, we're an aging city. Uh, Foster City just celebrated over 50 years, and I think San Mateo is, how old is San Mateo now? Uh, let's see, 18, hold on. We were 125 years old in 2019, so where are we now? So about 128 years old. Okay, so how can we, how can we, the infrastructure is wearing out, they're demanding more housing. Do you think housing should be regulated more by the individual cities, or do you think it should be continuing being the uh, stick, or the carrot and the stick that's happening back in Sacramento? Yeah, um, so in particular with SB9 and 10, and you know, I just don't see them moving the needle a lot. They, it is that you can redevelop single-family homes, but I don't see this big. I think that's onesies, twosies. I don't think that really gets you the volume of housing that you need, given how much of a housing shortage we have. So I, you know, it's out there, the law is out there. Let's see what people want to do with their single family lots. I just don't see it. I have really focused my energies on how we're going to do affordable housing and can we lend some money to it? Can, do we have the property for it? That's really where I want to make the biggest impact. The onesies, twosies, eh, they might happen, they might not happen. That ain't going to move the needle. So that's kind of where I'm coming from on it. I, I've really tried to see, and I think we need infrastructure. I think we need the land. I think we need to do some assistance financially to get it built and get it built yesterday. That's where I'm focused, and I'm going to devote my energies to that. You know, as I mentioned to you, we have 92 properties with the uh, state of California that are considered surplus land, some in the unincorporated areas and some in the corporate areas. Um, how aggressively would you be back there in Sacramento advocating that we build on these housing, housing? Because, you know, the state has been holding on to this surplus land for quite a few years. Um, and, any thoughts on that? I don't see why we would continue to not build where we can build. And if there is surplus land available, we got to get on it yesterday, Patrick. That's what I think. Okay. This dovetails into another crisis is just as bad as the housing crisis from interviewing people, and that's transportation. Um, the buzzword that has been around for probably uh, at least the last 10 years to me is the seamless transportation. Currently, BART, Caltrain's, Samtrans, they're all fighting for tax revenue from the federal and state based on revenue. Uh, Samtrans has improved their buses. Caltrain's improving uh, their their trains, uh, BART is trying to improve their trains. How can we make it more seamless? Um, I, I know um, 
Your sister's been an advocate um, of uh, the BART situation in Millbrae. I know she currently sits on the Millbrae Council and she's been an advocate to make sure that it goes into the airport more often. How can we make it do a better job? Uh, your Senator Josh Becker is talking about seamless transportation too. What are we doing wrong? Well, I think the, Senator Becker's bill is, is well received. Um, and I think that's a start to getting these transportation agencies to cater to the user, right? And we want to make it as easy for the user and the, com the commuter as possible. Um, and if there is not coordination among the transportation agencies, it just become more difficult to use. So when you talk about how we want to build housing on the transit corridor, well, part and parcel of that, I could not agree more, must be that we have efficient transportation. And I think we start by some of the transportation agencies talking to each other. And you're right, Millbrae has the largest intermodal station west of the Mississippi. You have the airport, you have BART, you have Caltrain, all coming together in one location. They've got to coordinate more. Um, and so, I, and let's see where high-speed rail ends up in that equation. So, um, you can't not talk to each other, especially when you have an intermodal station. Well, I, I want to commend the city of San Mateo and their Bay Meadows project, because one ingredient that they used on some of the units was is to make sure that the people that were in those units used public transportation or carpool. Um, if we're building near the quarter transportation areas near BART Caltrain, why are we building garages? Why are we encouraging, I would assume if you have to have some carports or maybe some one-car garages, wouldn't it behoove us to be able to build more units and make those units much more restrictive for public transportation? Yeah, that is how the argument goes. Uh, some residents are concerned that, that people will have cars anyway. And so if you're not going to provide some parking, I, we're, we're, you have to strike a balance. There's no question. Um, and you're right. In Bay Meadows, we did a TDM, Transportation Demand Management um, Program. And we do monitor trips that go in and out of uh, Bay Meadows so that we make sure that it stays a transit-oriented development. And that is one of the tools in the toolbox, as it were, to make sure that if you're building along the transit corridor, it truly is transit-oriented development and um, there is uh, less uh, reliance on the automobile. And um, I'm optimistic we can reach those balances. I really am. I don't find that to be you know, overly daunting. I, I recently served in the San Mateo County on the homeless count, and actually I took the homeless count for the city of Foster City and partially for the city of San Mateo. Thank you for um, your service. Thank you. According to that report, we're on a 20% increase just in the San Mateo County. But what I want to do is I want to take a macro approach. We have a crisis across the state uh, with homelessness. If you go up the... Uh, off uh, 85, 101, the freeways, even our freeways, um, even right off in between the connection between San Mateo and uh, Foster City or Redwood City off Woodside Road, we have a crisis on our hands. Uh, any thoughts on how we approach the homelessness? Uh, we've had a lot of people passionate about it, a lot of people opening their churches and opening and volunteering. What's your approach to trying yeah. to help the homelessness? Yeah, no magic pill, no magic pill. I mean, I think you start with transitional housing, with services, 
which then moves to more temporary housing and then ultimately permanent housing. Um, and it will take services and structures. And that is not a magic pill by any means. We know that's the comprehensive way um, to help get people into permanent housing with some uh, longevity to it. It is absolutely heartbreaking. And um, I think we're finally getting pretty darn realistic about well, what we need. Yeah, this kind of dovetails into another question. Uh, uh, currently, they used to say that uh, at least 20% of the homeless were veterans. Um, one of the major obstacles in homelessness is mental illness. A mental illness is on the uh, uprise, and it doesn't seem like we're really doing a great job. Any forte or any idea on what we can do on the uh, state assembly level to help what we what I call an epidemic of the homelessness due to mental illness? The infrastructure for mental health is not there. It is not. Um, whether that be that we are uh, making it easier to go into the field to be a mental health clinician, um, or uh, actually providing uh, facilities that will help service uh, mentally uh, folks that are mentally ill. So we have to up our game. We just have to up our game. And that's why I say I think we're finally, you know, coming to terms with the fact that we have to up our game. I think um, some of the governor's uh, proposals, like uh, Project Roomkey, I think is a real good start to the transitional or emergency housing along with services right away. We're converting a hotel here in San Mateo. You know there's been several in the county that are being converted to Project Roomkey. The county has taken full advantage of it and to not only provide the facility, but then the services that go with it. So we're finally getting that, that combination together and um, it's happening in the county, and it's going to have to play out all throughout the state. But he, the governor's put billions towards it, and I think we're on the right track. As of today, we've currently had, with gun violence, around 21 mass shootings. Five of them were in the state of California alone. What do you think we need to do in regards to gun control? This also kind of steps into the mental illness issue. Um, some of the shooters are between the ages of 18 and 21. Uh, most of the people that are committing these atrocities have some mental illness issues, are also using assault weapons or, or uh, semi-automatic rifles converted. What do you think we need to do? And back in, in back in I think it goes back to 1994, we did have a federal law that banned assault rifles, and of course that um, eventually turned out, and there's been a polarization back in Washington of a certain group of politicians that are preventing that from reoccurring. What do you think we need to do? I just think it's unbelievably cowardly, or coward, this, there's, uh, there's an incredible amount of cowardness to not take this on. So it's obviously a twofold issue again. We've got to have stronger gun laws, and we've got to have stronger mental health services. How do we make that happen? We need background checks. It's, I mean, what is it? Ninety percent of the population thinks there could be, there should be stronger universal background checks. I, how can you not do that? Like, I don't. I mean, it's not even in my wheelhouse. So we've got to either uh, get folks out that aren't willing to do it, which I know in California we have tried to um, 
there's a lot of people that are politically active and they try to be politically active in other states so that we can get folks at the federal level that will have the courage to enact these laws, whether it's universal background checks, banning of assault rifles, um, banning the sale to youth. Um, uh, it, it just defies the mind that there isn't the courage to do it. But we know that's what it takes. Stronger gun laws, more attention to mental health. You're talking about some pretty immature minds out there. And the fact that, um, you know, you, you have to be 21 to get a drink, but you can get a gun at 18. It, it's just defies logic. So courage, I think, is what it takes. We know what we need to do. I don't understand why the courage isn't there. It just boggles my mind. But that, a lot of that has to happen at the federal level. Well, you know what? We've been talking indirectly about the environment, but let's talk about the environment. Let's talk about environmental control. Um, I'm just going to work with San Mateo County to build up the state. We used the buzzword 20 years ago, becoming green, becoming a green county. What happened? It seems that, of course, in between we went through some recessions. Yeah. Uh, and during those recession times, we didn't get on the bandwagon. Uh, we spoke earlier, and you were talking about the infrastructure for housing. If we're going to build more affordable housing, how come we're not tying the electric, the water, and the sewers, and the infrastructure to it? It seems like the demand is the pressure to build more housing, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the things I'm looking at. Um, let's talk about water first, um, and I think water recapture is something that has got to get to the forefront, especially with droughts. Um, so the state uh, has got to take that on with, with fervor, and I intend to work on that at the state level as well. I've worked on it a bit here in my own city with respect to our construction of our wastewater treatment plant, which, as you know, we share with Foster City. Um, and so we are looking at uh, how do we capture some of the water and make it at least um, available for non-potable uses. Uh, that is an idea that has to happen. Um, with respect to, let's talk about carbon. And um, one of the things that I think is prime, California is primed for, is to develop the technology for carbon extraction. If we stop polluting in the morning, we still have to extract carbon from the environment. The technology has not been perfected. Actually, Iceland is working on it, and we had some legislators go to Iceland just recently. But I think with the brain trust here, in the fifth largest economy in the world, it is ours for the taking. And I see it as being a green job opportunity, but let's get the science down. I, I, I'm focused on it, and I think... Um, the more focused, the better. We, that is a wave uh, for the future that we really need to focus on. A lot of people talk about carbon reduction. And we every city has sustainability goals, my city included. We want to change our fleet to be a green fleet by a certain date. We want to get in the state of California what no new gas vehicles can be sold by 2035. Totally support all of those things. But I think carbon extraction is huge. So that is a, a mitigation that um, we got to work on. Um, okay, social media, Facebook, uh, Snapchat, um, uh, is helped to create a political divide that was already getting wider and wider. On January 6th, we had what we call an insurrection back in Washington, D.C. What's your thoughts and how can we bring the parties closer? You're, 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 you're going forward to go into the assembly, which is pretty much democratic controlled. Um, but we're seeing partisanship 
Um, and we're not seeing um, that people are actually coming together. Mm-hmm. What can we do? What, what's your thoughts? I mean, you, you saw what happened on January 6th. So, there has been an effort to try to regulate social media platforms. And that's a pretty complex, daunting task. Um, and those, those efforts will continue, Patrick. I see people uh, still wanting to find some way uh, of regulating those platforms. Here's what I say. Those platforms ain't going anywhere. We have too strong a free speech uh, laws in this country. What I want to see, what I feel is in my power as a mother, is how do I teach myself my child, how do you cope with social media? And I'm going to take it one step further. Not only coping with whatever uh, uh, social media distributions that affect mental health of, of folks, but then also to have some data savvy. How do we look at the internet and how are we able to know what's true, what isn't true? We all need to step up our game on processing information. And if you're just getting a steady diet of Fox Media News or whatever, you sh- we should have it where you know everybody steps out of their zone and watches something else for one hour a week or you know whatever it is. Let's 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 get to the forefront of our ability to process because the rate at which we receive information because of social media has changed enormously, right? But our it used to be what. Three network channels, that's where news came from. It was all fairly vetted. We had some good solid newspapers, whether they were local or regional, um, some good national magazines. All of the information we got was vetted. You didn't last if you didn't tell the truth and fully vet a story. Well, it ain't that way now with how things, information is distributed. I think it is incumbent upon us to get smart and get savvy. Um, and I'm going to work on that every day, both as an individual and to advocate for it as a society as well. I think okay. we'll only serve ourselves by doing it. Okay. Uh, you know... I do a lot of reading and listening and trying to figure things out. Um, it appears in a lot of uh, newspapers and social media and propaganda that's going out there that you look like the forerunner in this race. Um, but my question is, um, there was a column by Mark Simon on the in May, uh, and you know he, he basically took a swipe at you um, in talking about PAC money. Um, and some of the candidates, have, at least two of the candidates, or one of the candidates that I interviewed said he didn't take any PAC money. Um, so um, why so much money spent on the mailers going out? Those mailers were beautiful, I must admit, you, whether you liked them or didn't like them. Um, you, you run a really good campaign. Why did you feel that the PAC money was important to get that message out through uh, the, the flyers? So, uh, independent expenditures are what PACs spend their money on, and that has nothing to do with my campaign. So, they are independent, and the, the emphasis is on independent, which means uh, my campaign has no control over what those PACs do. And so, I don't have any say in what they do. Um, I um, Campaigns are... That is the nature of how the... Um, the laws work at this point in time, and I didn't have control over it. Well, we want to thank you on behalf of Podcast by the Bay. We're going to give you a couple moments to reach out to the audience out there, tell them what you need. You only have five days left. What do you need them to do? 
Go and vote. So this is an all mail-in election. Thank you for the opportunity to at least uh, let's get those nuts and bolts about voting out. Um, this is an all mail election, and um, you can still mail in your ballot, or you can drop it at a drop box. Cities all up and down the peninsula have drop boxes. I think there are also voting sites, um, and um, you can certainly go to the county elections website and find out all that you need to do to make sure that your ballot gets in, it gets in timely, and it gets counted. Democracy ain't a spectator sport, as we well know. So I encourage people to vote, and I thank you for your interest in the campaign, Patrick. All right, thanks again, Diane. We wish you the best of luck. Yes, sir. And it's always here. Thanks. <laughs>